Okay, now, so we're going through the book, books of the Bible, one verse at a time, and, and learning as much as we can. We are in chapter 13 of the book of Acts, and uh, uh, the Acts of the Apostles, looking at uh, the, the history of the early church, what Christianity was like in the very beginning, and, and what they experienced. They kind of set the stage for where we are today. They did an incredible job. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail it prevail against it and indeed the gates of hell have not prevailed against the church despite a horrible opposition at times in history and uh, these guys got it right and we want to look at it and get our point of reference from them because we want to get it right too amen all right so now anyway Paul is um, preaching in a uh, Jewish synagogue what would happen is when Paul would come into town the first thing he would do would go to the Jewish synagogue he talked uh, often about this in his writings that uh, he would go to the Jews first and then he'd go to the non-Jews and uh, that was just he just he believed that was the right thing to do because salvation was of the Jews and the rest of us get grafted in by faith but he felt that you know you know Jesus uh, obviously all the promises came through the Jewish nation Jesus was Jewish every you know the whole deal there so uh, he, they always went there first so he is in the middle of preaching a sermon. And we have talked about this, and we've seen it in a couple of these sermons that these guys preach. When they start their sermons in these Jewish synagogues, they do a mini history lesson of, you know, the whole Jewish nation uh, in their sermons. It makes it a little long to read sometimes, but uh, it was just tradition, the way that they uh, did things. And I think it was a way of establishing that we, whoever was speaking, understood the history of where they came from. History was a big, big, big deal with them. So he is going through his uh, sermon here and he uh, got as far as uh, Saul, the people of Israel, asked for a king. God said, you don't want a king. And it's, but we want one, we want one, we want one. And God finally gave in and warned them, you're not going to be happy with this, but they wanted it anyway. A lesson for many of us. Don't be whining. If God's saying no to you, just move on. He knows what's best for you. So they get Saul, and we pick it up at verse 22. So after removing Saul, David, or, or Paul is preaching to these Jews, then he made David their king, and he testified concerning him, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And indeed, David was a very obedient servant to the Lord. He was, uh, had a wonderful heart. The book of Psalms, looks like Psalm, but it's Psalm, uh, you know, all these praises and stuff and talking about the wonder of God and how glorious God is. And he was a musician and a worship leader and, and the king of Israel. I mean, he, you know, he was the whole package. And he just had this passion for God and he loved God so much. Having said that, it was not that he was without uh, flaws because indeed he was. Those of you familiar with the story knows that at one point uh, David got sidetracked, uh, committed adultery, uh, got the girl pregnant, was freaking out because he didn't want anybody to find out about it. So he had the wife's, uh, the girl's uh, husband murdered and then quick married her to try and cover the whole thing. This was a very dark uh, blot on, on David's life. But even in, in spite of the fact that he wasn't a perfect man, he was still a man who uh, had a heart for God and God loved that about him. And, uh, and even in, in, the, in the Psalms when he talks about my sin is ever before me and and he's writing about this time of you know i blew i blew it i, I did this horrible thing and uh you know and but there's forgiveness with you and and it's a wonderful thing to read reading the psalms i really encourage you read the psalms it's, it's just kind of a, a daily devotional thing pick one at a time read through it uh, i know sometimes people get discouraged in their walk because they're they blow it and they don't make as do everything they should, and they make mistakes, and they do stupid things. Uh, but there is mercy and grace for you. I mean, you know, most of you still at least haven't killed anybody trying to hide your sin. And, and even in that context, there was mercy and grace and forgiveness uh, with David. And uh, that's, that's kind of what all of this is about. Well, then he goes on. He says, from this man's descendants, talking about David. God was so keyed on David. He so was thrilled with David. Um, he basically promised that from this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus, as he promised. So all of a sudden, he just takes a big jump. He, go, he goes back, gets as far as David, and then jumps to Jesus. And uh, it was actually, 
you know, they were so into genealogies and, and who was whose father was the father of so-and-so was the father of so-and-so. Um, it was pretty common. If, if you read the Gospels, they often referred to Jesus in, in the contemporary setting as the son of David. They knew that he was of the line of David. They, you know, this was a, a common thing. Uh, and uh, so they just, he, he jumps right away to Jesus, who was of this line, um, and says, this is Jesus, this is Jesus the, the Savior. He says, before the coming of Jesus, John, talking about John the Baptist, preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, who do you think I am? I am not that one, meaning the Messiah. He says, no, but he is coming after me, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, children of Abraham, fellow Jews, basically, is what he's saying. And you God-fearing Gentiles, these were the non-Jews who were still believing like the Jews and, 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 and basically converts to Judaism. It is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Uh, these guys were into the Old Testament. They would read it every Sabbath and they'd talk about the prophecies. And, and some of these prophecies talked about Jesus or, or, or the Messiah coming as a suffering Messiah. And he says, when they crucified Jesus, they were fulfilling the very scriptures that uh, they would read every week in, in church. It's, it's an amazing thing. You know, I don't know if you've, if you've ever been, uh, I want to be careful here because I want to get myself in trouble with people, but uh, that'd be a shock. But, uh, <laughs> but have, you, have you ever been to a church and, and, this, and this can go almost any kind of church. Any, but I'm talking, they are as spiritually dead as the day is long. I mean, deader than doornails. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, the Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first. So they're going first, I guess. I don't know what the deal is. But anyway, these guys, these guys are dead, 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 dead. And, uh, but then you listen to their ritual. And the words they say. And you can't help but be stunned by the fact of, what they're saying is dead on right. I mean, they're saying the right words. They're quoting the right scriptures. They're making the right confessions. They're doing everything right. But they're just as dead as they can possibly be and just clueless about spiritual life and really have an experience with God. It's all about the mechanics of faith. That's very much where these guys had gotten to. They would quote the very scriptures they were fulfilling and were completely clueless about it. That's how, how blind... They were. They were so busy being busy for God and, and, and so caught up in their religiosity, they, they missed the whole deal. In fact, one of the amazing things is when you read the, the Christmas story and uh, the, the wise men come looking for the Christ child, right? And they said, we've seen a star. We, the time is right. Where is he? And it was the religious people of the day who said... Oh, yeah, yeah, that would be right. Uh, according to the scriptures, he should be in, in Bethlehem. But did they go? They didn't go. So the wise men go based on the instruction of the religious people. Who knew? They knew this stuff. But just knowing it here doesn't do it for you. You've got to know it here. You've got to experience it here. And how people can take the truths of God and just keep them in their heads and never get... It transformed and, and transferred into their hearts. Uh, it's just an amazing thing. You know, the difference between heaven and hell is about this far, I think. Are you hearing me? You keep it in here, you're in a bad place. You get it here where it becomes real and wow. So anyway, he said, uh, they, can, uh, they didn't realize what they were doing yet. In condemning Jesus, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sunday. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence. Uh, in Jesus, they asked Pontius Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree, which is a reference of the cross. It wasn't like an oak tree or something, you know, he was on the cross. And they laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. That's the good news. All these promises, every time you get together, every week, and you read the prophecies, and God's sending the Messiah, he's coming to be the sacrificial lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. The good news is all these promises given to our forefathers, he has fulfilled for us now. 
in Jesus. This is the good news. They're proclaiming, hey, this stuff is real. Okay, as it is written in the second psalm that David wrote, you are my son. It was a prophecy talking about the Messiah. Today I've become your father. The fact that God raised him from the dead, uh, never to decay, is stated in these words. I will give you, again he quotes from the Psalms, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. Um, Actually, that's Isaiah. Um, Just quoting from the Old Testament. So it is stated elsewhere. So he jumps around the Old Testament, he's quoting these scriptures to him. You will not let your holy one see decay. In other words, look, you guys know that the Messiah, there was two pictures of the Messiah. One was this conquering butt kicker, which is coming. Are you hearing me? Jesus is coming back someday. And he's going to come back kicking butt. Conquering. I mean, the Bible says someday he's going to come back riding on a white horse. And his robes are going to be dipped in the sweetest perfume that he got at Bath and Body Works. (laughs) Is that what it says? No, his robes are going to be dipped in what? Blood. Butt kicking. Okay? He's coming back and he is going to, you know, just... Anyone who opposes him, boom, and, and then he's going to be the reigning Messiah that's going to bring liberation to this planet Earth uh, for a thousand years. Now, th- this is what they saw those scriptures, as well as the picture of the suffering Messiah who would take away the sins of the world. Well, they were more focused on the conquering Messiah because they were under Jewish occupation, and what they longed for more than anything is to be set free from the Roman tormentors that they had. So they were myopic. They could only focus on this picture. And they weren't focusing on this other picture. And what he's pointing to them are the scriptures about the other picture. He would suffer. He would die. But his body would not see decay. What does that mean? God's going to raise him before he can rot away is the whole deal. And he's pointing to them in the Old Testament about these things. And then he goes on to explain, for when David had served God's people in his own generation, he fell asleep, talking about he died. He was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. So obviously it wasn't talking about David. It had to be talking about one of David's descendants, the Messiah. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Which, you know, kind of irritate them a little bit because they would try and justify themselves you know, by following the very strict rules of the Old Testament, what you could eat, what you could touch, when you could work, when you couldn't work, when you could worship, when you couldn't worship, when you, you know, they even had rules on when you could make love to your wife. I kid you not. I mean, there, there was all kind. these guys were really, 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 really strict. But even in, in all of that, they knew that they still weren't justified by God. God gave those rules, as we read later in Paul's writing, just to get the nation to separate them from, so they would be different than the nations around them. And be closer to righteousness. But it was never to give them righteousness. And that uh, Jesus came to redeem them from all their sins. And forgive them of all their sins. Even those that they couldn't get forgiven by following all these strict rules. So he says, take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. And here's a prophet uh, prophecy that he reads uh, from Habakkuk. He says, look you scoffers, wonder and worship. For, and wonder and perish. For I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. It was a prophecy that, man, someday God's going to do some stuff that will just fry their brains. And, and, and they're going to have a hard time believing it. And be careful that, you know, you don't get in that situation. Well, that's what happened. Jesus comes. He does all these miracles. They don't believe him. Which is quite a, an amazing statement. You would think, man, wouldn't it be great if, if Jesus would just show up and start doing all the miracles he did back then? You know, then your Aunt Bessie would finally get saved. You know what I'm saying? Then everybody would be good. Everybody would know. You know what I'm saying? That's what you think. Amazingly, that's not what will happen. While many believe, huge portions of them didn't believe it at all. And even the religious leaders who were there witnessing and seeing what he was doing didn't believe him at all. So this was the prophecy of those who just refused to believe no matter what they saw. So anyway, now he's done with his sermon, at least what we have recorded of it. And then he says, as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. And come back next Saturday. They would worship on, the, on Saturday, hence the, that's what Sabbath means. Uh, when the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. So these guys were so blown away by what they heard that they followed 
Paul and Barnabas and they kept learning more about this thing called faith and salvation and that it's not about following all the rules and stuff it's about uh, even though there, there's there's right and wrong I mean there's still that but but not all these religious rules and, and oh my goodness very very complicated systems that they had it's about faith in God trusting not in your ability to follow rules but in his ability to forgive you of your sins salvation isn't about you doing anything to earn it you can't earn it you can't buy it there's nothing you can do all you can do is trust in what Jesus did for you that's where salvation comes that's when the power of God comes in your life by faith and you're transformed by this incredible message called Christianity okay yeah hallelujah all right we got five fans of Christianity in the crowd all right now (laughs) why are they clapping Um, so anyway on the next Sabbath almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord now this you have to understand this message now a lot of people today have become hardened to the message uh, and they don't quite respond as as much as this when half the city shows up but here is a place that this is this is even not in a Jewish area this is in a Gentile area these were Jews who were living far away from Jerusalem these people had never heard of a God like this that they could have a relationship with God you mean to tell me I don't have to worship at some dumb idol and I don't have to buy my way. Or, or, and, and a lot of these people, they were trapped for life in whatever system they were born, whatever status in society. It wasn't like America where you could be really poor and eventually become president of the United States if you want or a multi-gazillionaire. I mean, in this culture, you pretty much were locked in wherever you were at. It, it was a sense of hopelessness and they were without God and they, and they believed in all these gods. They had a God for everything. There was a God for this, a God for that, a God for that. And then to find out there's just one God and that I can know this God? And he cares about me and all my sins can be forgiven just by trusting in him. Holy stinking cow. That's amazing. And people kept hearing about it. Other people kept talking about this. and You got to hear this guy. I mean what he was saying was, Hochi mama, check it out. So half the city shows up to hear. No, I'm sorry. Not half the city. Almost the whole city. We don't know if it was half or not. Almost would be 80%. Guess I don't know. It doesn't matter, Mark. Move on. Okay. (laughs) Trapped in my own thoughts. The wheel is spinning, but the gerbil left about an hour ago. (laughs) Now check it out. All these people. Now initially, all these Jews and stuff were going, wow, very interesting. Ooh, let's hear more. Da-da-da. And they were, you know, very impressive what you're saying. Yes, I never thought of that. And and they're open to it. But then all the non-Jews are so jazzed about this idea of salvation so almost the whole city shows up. Okay. So the Jews, when they saw this, thought, this is great. This is fabulous. This is wonderful. Now everybody can come to God. Was that the reaction? No. They were filled with jealousy and then talked abusively against what Paul was saying. They were jealous. They were jealous. All of a sudden, all these scuzzbags. These non-Jewish people, all these sinners, these filthy, unkept people, these hippies, you know, whatever, you know, whatever you want to call. All of a sudden, they're all responding to God. And the established Jewish, the the established religious system of the time hated it. Hated it. And I've shared this with, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, but it's like a lot of us when we got saved back in the 70s. Any of you guys part of that whole thing, you know, some of you old hippies like me, you know, when we got saved, we came to Jesus, you know, the established church at the time, and we're talking wonderful churches today, they finally, they finally got a clue, but at the time, these wonderful, you know, Baptist churches, Pentecostal churches, all these fundamental churches, did not like us showing up, because we were hippies, and it freaked them out, and what they really wanted us was to come in with short hair and a shoot and tie looking like them then they would have accepted us that was cool but because we didn't look like them and we were different they had a hard time with it well magnify that a hundred times here and these guys were really upset so then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly who these guys that were giving them a hard time he said we had to speak the word of God to you first that was our obligation Paul always said he felt obligated to preach to the Jews first uh, since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life <laughs> what a slam 
We now turn to the Gentiles. So we came to you, we told you, you don't want it? And they go to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord commanded us. I have made, and again, now he quotes um, uh, uh, from the Old Testament somewhere. I, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. It's from Isaiah, yes, Isaiah, Isaiah 49. It's a prophecy talking about bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. See, they saw these things, even in the Old Testament. Things about Jesus, about the Messiah, even about Gentiles, non-Jews becoming part of faith. They still didn't want to receive it. They knew it, but they didn't really want to have anything about it. So they said, look, you don't want this? We're going to go to the Gentiles. And it says, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. And all who who were appointed for eternal life believed. So all these people got saved. Okay? And the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. Let let me touch on this phrase real quick here. All those who were appointed for eternal life. Um, what, What does that mean? There, there, is, there are phrases like this in the New Testament uh, where people have gotten, uh, and there's some, there's some credence to it, this idea that God has predestined people to either go to heaven or to go to hell. And in, in the extreme sense, they don't even think he should have to preach the gospel. Because you're either going to hell or you aren't. God's already decided, you know, da 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 I, I think that's an extreme interpretation of what these these things mean i really do um you know was god surprised when you got saved i don't think so i don't think the angels came and said man guess who got saved are you kidding me <laughs> gary pierce no way <laughs> you know so, so I, I, I think we're always part of god's plan but you can't get so caught up in this predestined idea that you get this thinking that people are already born headed for heaven or, or headed for hell, which is the extreme form of predestination. Uh, as, as a doctor, you don't hear much, very much anymore, thank God. But uh, if you ever hear that phrase, that's what they're talking about. Um, you know, what does all that mean? I don't know. I just know that we hear the gospel, we respond to the gospel, and we obey the gospel, you know. Again, I don't think God was shocked by it, but I don't think you were born set to do that versus not set to do that. I just, you know, that makes no sense to me. So, I touch on that for a moment. Okay, so the word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them. Who told them to do that? Anybody remember? Jesus. Jesus said, go preach the gospel. They don't have anything to you. Just shake the dust off your feet and move on. All right. So they went to Iconium and the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Okay. So at Iconium, this is chapter 14. Keeping in mind these chapter numbers were added later. But uh, At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles, the non-Jews, which would be most of us here, uh, believed. But the Jews who refused to believe, again, they would get really ticked off. They just hated this. They hated that all these people were coming to faith in God. Um, so they, were, they stirred up the Gent, uh, those who refused to believe, stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews... Others with the apostles. So they split the city right down the middle. Some people love these Christians. Some couldn't stand them. Uh, There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and the Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to uh, Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and went to the surrounding surrounding country where they continued to preach the good news. Now, let's... Take a look here at Lystra and and Derby. In Lystra, he says, there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed. Now, how do you know that? How do you know that? You know, except just by uh, a spirit of discernment or some revelation by the Holy Spirit. But he looked at the guy and can sense faith in him and spoke a miracle to him. 
which is important. Without faith, you can't get your miracle. You've got to have faith. I have no doubt that there were all kinds of people around there who were also greatly in need, but they didn't get a miracle. For some reason, this guy, he had faith in him. And Paul looked directly, directly at him, saw that he had faith, and he called out, Stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. It sounds like the very first miracle that we read uh, in the book of Acts. Remember when uh, Peter and the disciples were going by and all of a sudden they saw this guy and said, he was begging for money. He said, we don't have any money, but I'll give you what we got. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And this guy miraculously stood up and it just created this huge stir. Uh, Well, here again, same deal here. He sees this guy, says, stand up, and this man jumps up and begins to walk. And I shared with you before... The miracle of this, to me, is not just that the guy got healed, but that he got up and walked. He had never walked in his life. People say, you know, that whole thing, do you really believe Adam and Eve's story? Do you really believe? Do you really think God just created a man and he instantly just stood up and started walking around? Yes, I do. I absolutely do. Well, it's impossible. Well, in your head, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And I think it's fascinating that not only did strength come to these these guys who had never walked, but they stood up and instantly. You all remember walking, right? Some, some of you. It doesn't happen right away. There's a lot of you know. You know, some of you, they were going to call the cops on you because it looked like you beat your kid half to death. You know, he's got scratches and bruises all over the place. What's wrong with him? He started walking, you know, and crashing and falling and getting up and come to Papa, come to Papa, you know, that whole thing. And it takes a long time. And, and finally, you know, they start learning how to run. And at first they're running like this, you know. And, and right now I have, I, our, our youngest grandchild, he's just starting to walk. He looks like Frankenstein. You know, and it's hilarious. So, so, I mean, that takes, and even people who, after surgery and stuff, get all their strength back, you know, they got to go through, you know, all kinds of, of, of strengthening the muscles and rehabilitation and stuff. And it can take them months, if not years, to get their strength back. But yet here, God takes a guy who's never walked, instantly heals him, but not just heals him, gives him the ability to instantly start walking around. And as in the first guy, he wouldn't, it says he was walking and leaping and praising God, running around, jumping. I bet, you, I bet he was having a blast. You know, I mean, how, how fun is that? So now check this out. This is really a funny story. When the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, which Paul did not understand, the gods have come down to us in human form. Well, Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. So they think these guys are the gods, the Greek gods, coming down in human form. Uh, so the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates, because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. So here, you know, of course, Paul didn't know what they're saying. I was like, he's just going, I guess they're praising God. I don't know, pretty excited, pretty cool. Guys dancing around, he's walking. But what they're saying is, these guys are gods. Holy moly, holy moly, Zeus is in town. Check it out, Hermes is here, let's go. And they went and got, the whole city found out about it. And the priests thought, really, they're here? So they bring these bulls up. Are they going to sit down and they're going to sacrifice and worship Paul and Barnabas? All right? But when the apostles... Barnabas and Paul heard of this. They finally figured out what was going on. They tore their clothes and rushed, which is, you know, this is Eastern culture, just very dramatic. You know, sometimes you see it on, on TV from the Middle East, they get very dramatic. But Paul and Barnabas heard, they ripped their clothes and they rushed into the crowd shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men human like you. We are bringing you good news telling you to turn from these worthless things, talking about these idols, these ignorant statues you're looking at, to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown 
kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with, a plenty, with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Uh, even with these words, the Bible says, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. They were so such in a lather. They couldn't comprehend what they were saying about the God of heaven. They just figured these guys had to be Zeus and Hermes or, or, or whatever the deal was. So, uh, but now check it out. So then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. Again, these guys, these, these Jews that followed him, hated what Paul and Barnabas was doing. Was letting these people know that they could experience God like this. They hated it. And they did everything they could to stop him. So they go, they win the crowd over. And then, check this out. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Now I gotta tell you, these people got some serious issues. Talk about mood swings. (laughs) One minute, they want to worship them and sacrifice to them. The next minute, they're beating the crap out of them. And I'm sure Paul felt a little confused. I'm getting mixed signals here. <laughs> so they, they, they stone him. They leave him for dead. Which means he either really was dead. Or almost dead. Because everybody, these guys thought he was dead. And they knew dead. They were pretty good with that. But I love this next verse. But after the disciples had gathered around him. I presume to pray for him. He got up. And the amazing part is the next few words. And went back into the city. I got to tell you, you stoned me to death. And somebody raises me from the dead. I ain't coming back to your house. I'm moving on. I can take a hint. So he goes back into the city. And then the next day, he and Barnabas left for a derby. What a wild story. Isn't that strange? This all happened, um, you know, two huge extremes. Amazing, amazing stuff. Okay, so they preached the good news in that city, uh, Derby, and won a large number of disciples. And then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And then they said this, We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Wow. There's a message you do not hear preached very often. In fact, what we preach, quite frankly, mistakenly, and fault in a faulty way, is without realizing what we're saying, we imply to people, if you just ask Jesus in your heart, everything will be fine. Your life will be great. You'll have no more problems. Everything if you just believe and and and. Uh, but that's not really true. While it's true that believing in Christ, you can experience forgiveness of sins. And you can begin to experience God in your life. And you can start having miracles in your life. There is no promise anywhere in the Bible that says you will not have trouble. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. That's what he said. But we don't really believe it. Because when we get trouble, what do you do? You freak out. And you go to God, God, how could this be happening? How could you let this happen to me? Oh, God, how? It's trouble. Because in this world, you will have trouble. But he said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Right? Yeah. I mean, nobody likes, nobody likes trouble. I don't like it. It's not fun, but we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Another way of translating that, sometimes you got to go through hell before you get to heaven. Come on. The good news, the encouragement is that when you're going through hell, don't stop. Keep moving. You're going through hell, they'll just give up. No, you're staying in hell. Move on. Don't stop. You know, we all go through tests and hardships and stuff, and sometimes people uh, love you, sometimes they hate you. Um, it's, it's an amazing thing. There's something that you need to know too as, as, we, as we read this and we see how the established religious people acted. If you, if you kind of take that picture and put it over your own family, some of you come from very religious backgrounds and, and you start to understand why they can't stand you and why they're so mad at you 
and why your mom and dad are so mad at you, or your cousins, your uncles, or whatever it is like that. It, it's like people get so married to their traditions, so connected to their traditions and their sacraments and their way of viewing their relationship with God, that when you come to God without doing all that, it ticks them off. It really does. That's what these religious people were doing. They got so mad because they were coming to God, but they weren't coming to God through the system. We have a system here! We built a... Why are you going around the system? It's not that you found God. That's not what ticks them off. It's that you've experienced God's grace in your life and you didn't do it through the system. And it's highly irritating to them. And that's why they fight you and give you the static that they give you and stuff like that. And this has been going on for like forever. Okay? This has always been there. And uh, it just is what it is, you know. And And that's where sometimes you go through hardships before you get enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's not, you know, and, and it, the interesting thing about it is Paul didn't tell them that they couldn't experience God based on their religious experience. What ticked them off is that others were experiencing it without going through their system. It's an amazing thing. It really is. I mean, it's not like, I mean, because they could experience, some of them might even have experienced God in their way, but they get so mad when somebody does it outside. So they take these real hard positions and in some uh, very traditional churches, they basically don't think you can even get to heaven if you don't go through their system. How can you get, you can't possibly, you're going to go to hell. Why? Because you didn't go through the system. You know, you didn't get, you know, your sacraments or whatever through our deal, uh, or approach God our way, so there, there's no hope for you. And that's, uh, <clears throat> that's, it's just that religious spirit that has always been there. And uh, will always be there. It's just, it's just very, very odd. So anyway, they're encouraging them. doesn't sound like encouragement, but he says <laughs> their encouragement is they're going to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And then Paul and Barnabas uh, appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Uh, so what they're doing is they're, go- they're going back through the cities where they just came, preaching the gospel, where all these Christians were getting, people were coming to Christ. They set up elders and established churches in every area. They, they gave them a, a you know, uh, some form of structure uh, so the church could continue to thrive without Paul and Barnabas. Uh, and then he says, then after going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. And from Attilia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. So there's the finish of it. They started in Antioch, and they said, Remember they were praying and the Holy Spirit said, send Paul and Barnabas for this work. So they said, this is the completion of Paul's first missionary journey. Again, uh, if you look in the back of your Bibles, almost every Bible has these maps and stuff. And a few that you'll definitely find will be Paul's missionary journeys. His first, his second, his third, and then how he eventually wound up in Rome. Uh, So what we just finished is that was their, their first experience of running around preaching the gospel, and what was in, and so amazing, they were going into non-Jewish areas. There were Jews there, they'd start with them, but they would go, and how non-Jews were experiencing God's grace and getting saved like crazy. And it, it was just quite amazing. So, uh, so they, they came back there. On arriving there back in Antioch, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Again, that would be us. You're either Jewish or you're a Gentile. It's that clear. And, uh, and, and all these Gentiles, people like us, were, who experienced God, and they were amazed by this. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Now, then the music changes. Dun, 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 dun. And chapter 15 comes in. Now, some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers... Now, they were brothers. These were Christian men now who were being influenced by the Jews who said, listen, you can't come to faith unless you become Jewish. All right? They were so married to the system that now they are affecting Christian men who now are coming down to Antioch where Paul is hanging out and starts teaching these brothers, unless you are circumcised, 
according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. They were so into the they were more interested in the condition of one's wiener than in one's heart. That's what circumcision is. You know, look it up. Okay, trimming the end off, uh, which sounds very painful to me. But anyway, going on, they they were more interested in that than the fact that God was moving in their lives because they hadn't done this thing. Now this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. In other words, they got into a fight. Why do I laugh? Fights are, can be fun. Yeah, and, and the reason I, I, I respond this way is, uh, you know, I get around so many pastors today and stuff like that. These guys, if there's any conflict at all or any debate or argument, they just freak. These guys just freak. You know, I'm a controversial guy, as you can well tell. And I'll go to these meetings of pastors and I'll start throwing hand grenades and start fights going, you know. Just, you know, about marriage and family. Come on, we've got to take this stuff seriously. You guys quit dinking around. We believe in stuff or not. I was with this big gathering, all these big hoity-toity churches in America, and I was in there and started talking like this. And, you know, we need to start supporting the family. And these guys start just going psycho on me. I said, you, you can't say the ideal family is a, a woman and a man. I'm, I'm telling you, this is what they were, what are you clapping for? This, this, this is what they were saying. You can't say that. You can't say that. Man, I thought I was in there with, you know, Gloria Steinem or something. (laughs) Unbelievable. These are some of the biggest churches in America. And I'm being a nice guy because a lot of people watch on the internet. I won't mention any names, but you all know who they are. These are the big Yo Mama evangelical churches. We all go, holy cow. Some of the largest churches in the world. They were there. And they were having a cow. Because I said, we need to encourage husbands and wives to have strong families. So you, you can't call... A man and a wife, the ideal family? One guy says to me, there's at least 25 different kinds of families. I never did get that. I mean, I I threw in all kinds of combinations, you know. I did. Including gays. Gays with chickens, gays without chickens. I mean, I'm trying, how do you you come up? Well, 25, this guy's just, there's 25. Anyway, because this debate started, you should have seen all these guys. They just freak. They just panic. <laughs> they can't handle the fact. And they had to shut down the, the, the argument because there was an argument. Rather than saying, come on, let's fight this out. What do you mean? No, no, we, gotta, no, we can't do this. You can't do this. As if somehow this is unholy. But the point of the fact is in the Bible, they would often argue. It's not the end of the world. Christians can argue, but at the end of the day, we still got to love each other. It's okay. And sometimes we do. Sometimes we have conflict. Sometimes we get in each other's faces. Sometimes I've gotten some of your all's faces. Some of y'all got in my face. You know, we're big, happy, facey people. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. So Paul and Barnabas get in this big fight with these guys into a sharp dispute. And debate with them, i.e. an argument. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. Now, remember, this is the, this is the story that we read back in Galatians. Let's just real quickly back here. Um, Galatians, where are you? Here we go. Galatians, the, the second chapter. He's doing a history lesson back to the Galatians. He's really ticked off at these Galatians because they are getting caught up in the circumcision thing and, and all this, trying to hold on to the old laws. And, and he basically says to them, well, no, basically, he tells them, he says, boy, if anybody preaches like this, he says, I wish they would be eternally condemned. In other words, I wish they'd just go to hell. That's how intense he was with it. And then he says, in chapter 2, verse 1, 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus also along, and I went in response to a revelation set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But this I did privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I had been running or had run my race in vain. Anyway, he goes on and on talking about these people that he went to and he got in their face and said, listen, I don't care who you guys are. You're wrong. You're wrong. Well, those guys are these guys that he had this argument with. And these were the 
leaders of the day. Some of them were apostles. He even goes on to uh, talk about how uh, Peter was part of this uh, duplicity. Paul did not pull any punches, man. He, he, if you were wrong, he would go after you. And he didn't care if you were an apostle or not. And these people he talked about were some of these leaders who were trying to force the, the Gentile Christians to basically become Jewish. They wanted us to get circumcised, and that was just uh, the, the first start. I mean, they wanted to become circumcised and then dress and act and become Jewish and, and follow all the rules and, and obey the Sabbath and all, all the, you know, what you can eat, what you can't eat, all these strict things. They thought, you can get saved, but only if you do that. And that's where Paul had a fit with them because he says, no, 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 salvation is not about doing this. Salvation is about faith in Jesus Christ. The simplicity, the power of it. That's the power of the gospel. Okay, so they uh, go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. And the church sent them on their way. And as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. Well, this news made all, made, this news made all the brothers very glad. When they came, came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything that God had done to them. Then some of the believers, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, they were still Jews, but they were believers, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. They have to. Absolutely required. And the apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. And he says, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Remember, this is when Peter went and preached the gospel and these guys started speaking in tongues and getting saved. Everybody was amazed that this happened. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. And what they wanted to do was purify their hearts through acts, through doing something, through religion, by making sure you did this ritual and did that ritual and, and wore these kind of clothes and had your hair just this way and da 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 and ate this and didn't eat this and don't touch that which isn't kosher and only eat kosher stuff and on and on and on and on and on. And, and he said, no, no, no. God showed us that he is able to purify people's hearts not by religious action but by faith. Okay? Again, that's not to say that what we do isn't important. It's still very important. But... More in a simple sense in terms of right and wrong and righteousness and holiness and some of the basic laws of morality that we don't have uh, time to get into right now. But, uh, but these religious rules is what they were trying to break away from. He said, now then, why do you try to test God? Why are you ticking God off? Why are you irritating God? God showed us they could be saved. Why are you, why are you taking on God here is what he's saying. By putting on the necks of these disciples... A yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear. In other words, what he's acknowledging is that, look, nobody does this right anyway. This is so complicated. This is so nuts. Who can do all this stuff? Nobody can do this. We haven't been able to do it. Our forefathers haven't been able to do it. Nobody can do this. Why in the world are we trying to take that yoke and throw it on these new people who are believing in God? He says, no, with an exclamation point. I like that one. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved. Just as they are. And the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders that God had done among the Gentiles through them. He went and started to react and, and, and just built on what Peter had said and said, Look, man, God is touching these people's lives. God is moving in their lives, He's answering their prayers. He's doing miracles in their lives. They're turning from sin. They're turning to the living God. And, and, and whole cities are showing up. And, and all the stuff that they share that we just read about. He's sharing with all of these guys. About these people known as Gentiles. The rest of the world. Us. How we in fact. And this basically has become the Christian message ever since. That you can know God. Through faith in Jesus Christ. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. It's not about doing religious rules and regulations. This is what we proclaim every week here at Celebration Church. It's what we proclaim on Sundays and tell people how they can come to faith in Christ. The good news. This is good news. And if you put it in the context of all of these rules and this new idea of just trusting in God, that's pretty good news. 
And to these people who never knew anything about God and thought they were going to be stuck in their horrible positions all their lives and, that you, and this message comes that you can be forgiven, you can know God, God can lift you up, He can bless you, He can empower you. You can have the same experience with God that a rich man can. That you can have the same experience with God that the pastor can. That the religious leaders, that there's no difference. That we could all have this. When they heard this, they want, wow, this is good news. And that's what changed the world. Next Wednesday, we'll pick it up and we'll see what the, uh, um, the final decision that these guys make. Which obviously, you pretty much know. But we'll look at it in, in more detail. Uh, they write a, a little document to settle this question. You would think once and for all, but it never got settled. These guys kept bugging them. That's why Paul wrote in Galatians, and he was so ticked off. And he was so mad at these guys. And said, I have had it with these nitwits. You are driving me nuts. This is not about the stuff, it's about faith in Christ. So we'll pick that up next Wednesday as we continue on. Hallelujah. Amen. Um, Let's have the ushers come forward and we will take up uh, tonight's offering. And uh, yeah. And, and let me encourage you guys. I mean, some of you, again, that you've come through from traditional families, traditional religions, you know, be it, uh, you know, whatever it is, Episcopalian, Lutheran, Catholic, whatever, where they're so intense on their uh, structures. And not that they're all bad. There's no st- that's not what I'm trying to say. It's just that when you don't go through their system and you just start experiencing God in your life, they'll get mad at you. And, and it's not that you're, they're evil and it's not that they're bad people. It's just that they're just so caught up in the religiosity. And all you can do is pray for them. And, and just, it is what it is. And just walk in the freedom that Christ has given you. And, uh, and hopefully, you know, they'll find the same kind of freedom. You know, many of these Jewish believers that did really get saved, they did keep doing their systems for the rest of their lives. You know, if that's their choice. And Paul basically said it. You know, if you want to do that, that's fine. Uh, but uh, don't force that on other people. And it just, it just helps you understand why so many people sometimes are, are so against the message that we preach. Um, it ticks them off. You know, they, some people will even say, well, you're making it too easy. <laughs> Well, that's kind of the good news, you know. I mean, the good news is that this isn't dependent on you. It's dependent on Him. If you will trust Christ in your life, you can know God and experience God. That's not to say that you can keep just hurting people and keep sinning and doing all kinds of mean. No, you need to stop all that stuff. But you don't earn your way to God by doing religious activities, going through systems and forms and rituals and all that kind of stuff. That's not what this is about. This is about knowing God just by faith. And it's an amazing thing that God loves us so much. I get, as I said on Sunday, I get that God loves us. I just don't know why. That's the part I stumble. Why? Why would he love us so much the way that he does? That's an amazing thing. I'm glad that he does. You know? But, uh, man, it's an amazing thing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together tonight. We thank you for this offering. We pray that you would use this money to help build the church and help us to continue to take this wonderful message of grace and mercy and salvation and repentance, Lord, and, and share it with the world in which we live. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.